The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations Be Present, The Diane Ray Show Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're like me, your life has been touched by cancer. Actually, if you're like most people, your life has been touched by cancer. Even like two weeks ago, a friend of mine that I had kind of lost touch with, but I mean, she wasn't much older than I am. And I found out that she had just passed away suddenly from cancer. So there's a good chance that it's going to happen to someone you know or in your family. I also lost my mother to colon cancer in 2007. Not a day goes by that I don't think of her. So when she was going through her fight, I really wish that she would have had Dr. Steve Eisenberg as her doctor. I wish anybody out there who's dealing with cancer could have Dr. Steve Eisenberg as their doctor. I just finished his book, Love is the Strongest Medicine, and his views on treatment and dealing with patients should be required reading for anyone in the medical field. And Dr. Eisenberg is a triple board certified physician in internal medicine, medical oncology, and hematology. And he is the co-founder of C-Care, California's largest medical oncology practice. He also plays a mean guitar from what I understand. We're going to talk (laughs) about this. And he is the host of the Dr. Stephen Show and podcast. And you can find him online at drsteven.com. So I'm really happy to have him on the show today. Welcome. Thanks, Diane. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad that we could connect. And I really love the book. I just finished it last night. And I have to say, great intro by Dr. Rudolph Tanzi. And I never knew he played keyboards for Joe Perry and Aerosmith. <laughs> I know. I I was blown away when I met him. And uh, five minutes into our conversation, I'm listening to him jamming. <laughs> with Aerosmith on his little, uh, you know, on our little iPhones. And we're like, uh, took a pause from the medical conference and we're just jamming out. And it blew me away because, hello, Aerosmith? This guy's like a Harvard neurologist and Alzheimer's expert. And my grandmother, you know, passed away 
with Alzheimer's. So I was really interested in his views. And then I was, I, I, I was just couldn't believe I was hearing him impromptu, you know, blues jams with Joe Perry. And we became like an uh, instant soul brothers. It was really fun. Well, he has kind of the, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say split personality, but like the dual secret <laughs> life, you know, of the musician and, and you're a musician as well. And I just imagine like on his phone, you know, he's got Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. He <laughs> can know. just call, he can call them up. And I had spoken to Dr. Tansy. This was a few years back with uh, the book that he had co-written with Deepak Chopra. Yeah. And even then I didn't know that he was probably secretly jamming with Joe Perry at the time. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I, he... That's when I first saw him. <laughs> that's when I first got to to know who he was when he, yeah. when he was, he writes those books with uh, Deepak. And I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Super, and super genes. Yes. Yes, thank yeah. you. That, it was driving me crazy, and I was going to Google it real quick uh, while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he wrote um, an amazing intro, and he um, has some of the same feelings about the power of, of music to heal. So we're going to get into that uh, during our conversation today. But I want to give people a little bit of a background and start with your interest in medicine in the first place, kind of stem from your personal experience as a child and you had this traumatic bike accident oh, and you boy. had a doctor that was really incredible and instrumental in your healing. And was this when, I mean, I'm sure it was years later, but his treatment of you really was kind of a spark for your interest in medicine. It sure was. It really was. I was, um, you know, my whole face was, <laughs> was, uh, was really battered. Uh, you know, I, I, I was hit, I was on a bike and I was hit by the car and my face went through the windshield and, and I had this, this brain edema that was getting worse by the minute. But, but, you know, they had to sew me back together. My left ear was hanging off. My left pinky was hanging off. And I re just remembered his kind eyes and his loving voice and his, gentleness and uh boy you know i i just think about him to this day he's passed away since um but i went online and i read about more about him as the years went on and i just became so fascinated by him he was this wonderful plastic surgeon and and he was he was such an artist he you know he he really sewed me back together piece by piece stitch by stitch and even though i thought i looked like frankensteinberg when it was all over to this day people say you know where show me the scars and uh, i know where they are but you know with my beard and everything it's it they're hard, really hard to see you can still see my pinky you know scar in my ear but he was fascinating because he, he kept me so calm and he kept saying, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay, Stevie. He knew my father. My dad's a family practice doctor and they knew each other. And so my dad had a lot of confidence in him. And, you know, he was just talking to me like almost like nothing had gone, you know, like almost like I wasn't half dead. He just kept me in the conversation. He just kept connecting to me. 
and saying, look at my eyes, look at my eyes. It's going to be okay. We're going to sew you back up. And it was just beautiful. His soft, gentle, connected voice. And that experience just stuck with you. And I can imagine how you must have felt as what, 12 or 13, going through this horrible accident and you're just in pain and, and freaked out and having that that gentle voice telling you over and over you're going to be okay yeah you know had to be incredibly it was everything right at that moment because later i couldn't walk i couldn't talk but in that moment it was all i could do was to focus on his eyes and the and his headlamp and his voice and somehow he got me through it i was you know, I was, I was really in my head, like what, what the hell just happened? And what did I do? And oh my goodness, am I going to make it? It was really scary. It was really scary. And, uh, I can, the only, what I can relate to my patients now is then, and we'll get into it, but you know, when you hear those words, you have cancer, those three words, that, I think, is the scariest three words in medicine. It's got to be. It's got to be a gut punch. And being able to navigate that with people, and you go into that in the book, and the stories that you share are really heartwarming. I mean, I I felt my eyes welling up a couple of times <laughs> as, as I was reading the book, and I just kind of ripped through it in one sitting. That's amazing. And Thank you. <laughs> no, it was easy. It was, it was a great read and I really hope people pick this up. So in reading about you, uh, after you had this experience and, you know, you went on to heal and you're going through life. So as you picked up an interest in music and also in, in comedy, <laughs> well, Lauren Michaels didn't call, you know, SNL, <laughs> that career choice didn't happen. And you followed in your father's footsteps and you went into medicine and you went into oncology and you say in the book that people tell you, oh, why would you do that? It's so depressing, you know? Oh, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, what you're doing is is just so unbelievably valuable and, and life-changing. And you really felt called to follow that path, didn't you? Yeah. the It was, it was this amazing um, mind-body medicine that I, you know, at, at Penn State, um, I'm a Philly guy and I went to Penn State. We had to take it, uh, we had to take a required physical ed class <laughs> as a freshman. And I took yoga. Uh, they had this huge book you had to select. And I was like, huh, uh, badminton? No. Bowling? No. Yoga. And something inside was like, yes, take yoga. Because I was reading, I was studying Eastern philosophies, and I was very attracted to this idea of taking yoga. And as the, it's like, you know, the people who are listening, you know the first time you do yoga and it's like you feel it in your bones, you feel it in your soul. I was like, yes, yoga, this is great. I love this because something just clicked at the soul core level. And I became fascinated with mind-body connection. Well, I share a love of yoga as well. And I do remember that first class. And I remember the 
the high at the end, you yes. know, being, being in, in Shavasana. And I thought, wow, you know, like I never felt this after an intense racquetball or softball or, you know, exactly. not that I didn't love doing any of those other things, but there's just something about the way yoga does connect you to your physical body. That's totally different from any other kind of modality, you know? So I, I agree with you there. Yes. And and I started studying it. I started taking neuroscience classes, and I, I wrote a paper on what, what's the neuropathway when you hear a moving piece of music and you get the chills. I wanted to know, how do you listen to something and get the chills? What is that? And it was like so cool to, to how the music affects your limbic system and I just became so fascinated how our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions can affect our health. And then I was like, wow, you know, music is connected and laughter is connected and all these things make you feel good, but could they really affect your health in a deep way? Became the question of my life. And I was like, could I somehow meld these two worlds of creativity whatever that means to me it was music and creating songs and and bits and you know comedy bits and music. i wanted to combine these things with healing in some fashion i didn't know exactly how i was going to do it back then but it just was this thing this this crossroads i was at as as college was ending it was like how do i do this how can i combine mind body medicine and creativity. This became my life's journey at that point in, at that point in my, my own personal path. Well, you say in the book, music can be a healer. And I love that you had this deep love of music. And I've always loved music. And yes. I don't see how people cannot care about mm. it or incorporate it into their life because it seems like such a natural thing. But you must have gotten pushback, right? When you started talking about this or, or sharing some of these treatment ideas in the beginning, right? In your medical practice. Yeah. Yeah. When I first went into practice, you know, I moved across the country from Georgetown to San Diego, joined a practice. And um, it was, <laughs> it was difficult. It was difficult, you know, for a time there, my guitar was collecting dust in the corner in the garage. And because at the time I was unprepared to, to deal with the day, the ins and outs of day to day building a practice when you're not, you're not taught at Georgetown or any academic training program, how to go out and, build a private practice. And so when I joined, they, you know, go out and go out and, you know, get your name out there and get patience. And, and, and it was all about the grind. It was about the grind and being productive and being, and being the most successful and the grind and the grind. And my creativity was being grinded slowly out of me. And sometimes I'd pick up the guitar and play a chord and then the phone would ring and it would be this answering service and 
the guitar would get put back in the corner and it was really tough in the beginning. And I felt more and more stress creep into my life at that time. Right. I could imagine. And, you know, just people being treated as commodities and not people. And I mean, I've seen that in my own experience with, with different doctors and, you share about a doctor that kind of changed your attitude with that and dealing with people in more of a caring way. Dr. Manny, I just, I loved your description <laughs> of him in the book, Dr. Flegelman, Yes. And uh, how he influenced you. And I mean, why isn't that practice or, or taught in medical school? Or maybe it is now. Is it being addressed a little bit more these days? I think so. I think so. I think, I think a lot of the I think a lot of the young people who are going through medical school now are are coming at it with a more holistic approach. Um, you know, back when I was, you know, when I I went in med school ninety two to ninety six, I and then I you know it took a decade ninety two to two thousand and two before I was stamped a a newly <laughs> a newly trained oncologist, which was crazy to think about 10 years it was like a flash a decade 92 to 02 but uncle manny he said he called himself uncle manny and he demanded that we called him uncle manny because he was like your great uncle bald gray beard glasses white coat he was a beacon of compassion and the first day of medical school, I knew this guy would be my mentor because he points to the doors and goes, for all those who do not carry compassion in their hearts as they pass through these doors, there is the exit. And he points <laughs> and, and we have our little white coats on and he demands compassion. And the first day he goes over his 10 C's and the 10 C's encompass caring, compassion, competence, contact. And he's just, he's just so beautiful. And <laughs> I wrote the school show in my, in my senior year. I was this, I was the director of the school show where we, you put on a show for the rest of the school and, and you make fun of the process of being a med student and you have the and you and you poke fun at the professors uncle manny was in one of my top skits and he saved he saved our med school from an alien invasion with compassion <laughs> they were they were disco aliens called the travolcans and <laughs> they were trying to they were trying to uh make us all do disco and he comes in and he saves us and it was all with his compassion and they and and at the end we all get along and we all dance together dancing with the doc but he's just he was just this amazing guy and i really loved him and he passed away um he passed away with something called um myelodysplastic syndrome which is a hematology oncology disease and so it was like it, it came full circle is like his thing was now my specialty and i was blessed because his family created this compassion award when he you know uh, in his name 
And I was just so blessed to to be the first recipient of the Manny Flegelman Compassion Award. And to me, that that was the most meaningful award I've ever received in my career because it was it was Uncle Manny. That's so amazing. And he really planted the seed, I think, for you to really care for people's souls as well as their physical bodies. You know, we're all a complete package with without just, you know, the physical thing and it all it all ties together, but I think yep. that's so amazing that he, you know, was the one that, you know, was such a, such an influence to have you really be aware of that because I mean as we've all experienced not everybody does that you know there's so many people in the medical field that they're just dismissive of another person's suffering and and you vowed to never let that happen I mean do you feel that those people use that as a coping mechanism that they behave in that way or maybe it's too painful for them to show compassion I don't know what do you think about that when you see those kind of people I do. I think it's a way of coping um, because we are taught to create this wall, to build this wall and to have it be tall and wide and strong. And Manny taught me to break down that damn wall. And, and you know, the research is catching up with Manny's theories because what we're finding now, and there's beautiful books being written on this subject that I've come across um, as I was reading more and more about compassion and medicine. Uncle Manny gave me a book when I graduated called Empathy in Medicine. And it was just an- research and, anect- and, and, and evidence, anecdotal evidence and research evidence of, of the power of empathy. And he signed it to me and I treasure it. But now what we're finding is that the doctors who are who are at the biggest risk of burnout are the doctors that are most disconnected to their patients, which is a paradoxical thought. In many ways, you thought, oh, well, if you have this barrier built between your emotions and the patient, then, you know, you're protected. It's not that. The more disconnected you are from your patient, the more risk you are of having burnout. And it's actually, the numbers are are astronomical. It's one out of every two primary care, family practice, internal medicine, ER, uh, you know, all the frontline doctors, especially, you know, all the doctors that have been so impacted by the pandemic over the last 18 months. And uh, these are the doctors who are at the most risk of burnout. Then add add all of the increased stress of, you know, everything that's going on with the, the had gone on and, and continues with the pandemic. It's paradoxical. The more you lean in, the more you do connect, the more that you share, the more that you can be vulnerable, the more that you can truly bond with your patient as a brother, as a sister, as an aunt, as an uncle, the more you're actually protecting yourself from burnout because you're connecting to why you became a doctor. You're connecting to your own empathy, to your compassion, and that spills over and you're giving yourself compassion and it actually refuels 
it becomes instead of a vicious cycle of draining your compassion, like I was going through when I forgot who I was and I forgot who I wanted to be as an oncologist because I was just trying to make it and be, you know, to make it, so to speak, and to be the most productive, most successful, impress my new partners, you know, everything that everything that I was doing was was actually draining me. And when I became reconnected, when I reinvented, reconnected to what Uncle Manny had taught me, and I demanded, this is what I need to do, the compassion fuels were being refueled. And it became, instead of a vicious cycle, I was slowly starting to reverse it to the virtuous cycle. And all of a sudden, every time I'd schlep my guitar into the chemo room, I became refueled. It wasn't, oh, I felt drained after writing a song for, you know, playing, making a song for the, the chemo nurses and the chemo patients. I became refueled and I became like, wow, like this is amazing. This is why I became a doctor. I'm now, I'm now feeling in my heart and my soul this connection and people were smiling and people came up to me afterwards after my very first chemo concert. And they said, I felt, you know, like I felt like I was in a coffee house for a few minutes there. And, you know, like to just to be able to have someone not feel like they're in a chemo room for a few minutes, it was a it was a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough. And that was the first inkling I had that maybe I could maybe I could bring this to the world in a different way. I could show that doctors and patients can come together and do something creative and it could impact health and wellness. It's such a gift what you're doing and what you learned from Dr. Flegelman, because definitely when you're dealing with chemo and, and all of that that comes with it, you know, you're not thinking of a coffee house <laughs> and most of those places, you know, definitely don't have that vibe. So I'm, I'm hoping that this becomes more commonplace in the future. You know, maybe if we could fast forward, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, that we'll see that will be commonplace, right? Well, we can only hope. I pray, I pray. And don't get me wrong. This was, this was not like, uh, I got some stares, you know, the first time I walked into that chemo room with my, with my, uh, guitar, (laughs) I got some stairs and uh, some eye rolls. Oh, geez. You What's know, he going to do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, but the, but you know, they knew that I, <laughs> the nurses knew that I, that I love creativity and the patients knew that I loved creativity and believed in it. And so by the end of it, they were all clapping along, but then something happened where I took this idea of just, you know, entertaining, coming in the chemo room and playing some Beatles tunes, or, you know, I would, I would ask a patient, what's your favorite thing to do? And I'd make up a few lines about it and make a few, a a little spontaneous riff. Something happened in my life where I had a song written for me, an original song. 
Hold on one second. I just want to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And I hope you stay with us. I'm talking to Dr. Steven Eisenberg. Thanks for listening today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show. I'm talking with Dr. Steven Eisenberg about his book, Love is the Strongest Medicine. You can find out more about him at drsteven.com. And I really hope you pick up this book. It's such an amazing read. Notes from a Cancer Doctor on Connection, Creativity, and Compassion. And before the break, you were talking about how you were starting to bring your creativity into your treatment. And, you know, people, I'm sure eyebrows are raised a little bit, but then you could see the results that you were getting when people who are at their most vulnerable, feeling like hell, you know, going through these intense chemo treatments and how bringing in a little bit of joy and music and creativity was just so life-changing and, and beneficial to their health. So it start, also it became where you were writing music for them and writing songs. Wow. If a doctor wrote a song for me, I would love that. But you started to, to tell us a little bit about that. So yeah. how did that happen? Well, you know, so I was, I was, I was doing little chemo concerts and at the, about, you know, I was, I was starting to feel a little bit better in my own life, in my own journey. And then I get an, an email from my favorite musician his team sent out this email. We're having a story writing contest, the Peter Himmelman story writing contest. Write a story of how Peter's music has impacted you. So I wrote a story about being back in Philadelphia and and hearing Uncle Manny and 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 wanting to be this 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 doctor who could bring love and music and laughter to cancer patients and was going through my own struggles. And the winner of the story writing contest, Peter would write a song for you. And so I win the contest. I get the grand prize. And a few weeks later, I get in the email an attachment. And it's the, it's the MP3 music file. And I listen to this song from one of my favorite artists. And the floodgates open up. My my tears, I just break down and start crying because all of the emotions, all of the emotions, all the pent-up frustrations, all of these uh, unexpressed feelings started pouring out of me because what the song became was a reminder. He nudged me back into my soul. He nudged me. He reminded me of that young optimistic med student who wanted to bring love to cancer patients, didn't really know how he was going to do it, but wanted to bring love to cancer patients, love, light, inspiration. And that was the moment I said, it's got to go a little deeper. 
I need to write original lyrics and music for the patients. And that's when I started doing the songwriting sessions. And it started off with this beautiful piano teacher from Carlsbad, California, which is crazy to think that that's where my publisher is, Carlsbad, California. (laughs) The first song I ever wrote was from the top piano teacher from Carlsbad, California, Chucky, Charles. And we talked about music all the time. He had prostate cancer. He was going through a really hard time. It, his, it was getting worse in his bones. He was having pain. But whenever we talked about music, his eyes would light up. We wrote this song called Teaching Me. And I interviewed him about his life and how he, op- he had a band that opened for the Stones in the 60s. And he had a, he had a musical act in Vegas. And, and then he decided to become a piano teacher because one of his favorite audience members died in a drunk driving accident. And he had to shift his life. He didn't want to be part of that scene anymore. He wanted to give back to the teaching, to the kids. And the song was teaching me. And so the song goes through his life and then how he was teaching me. Chuck was teaching me about the power of music in this song. And I played it for him at his home, in his hospice bed, at home for him and his wife, like a month later. And we were all crying together. And he said, I felt, I feel this deep sense of validation, this deep sense of peace, this deep sense of love. The love was in the room. And I knew, I knew at that point it was the right path because Oncology is about living. It's about living the living in the moment for whatever time we have. We can't cure everybody. And I think oncologists get in trouble when we're solely focused on the chemo, the immunotherapy, the biologic therapy, and we're just solely focused on giving the next treatment to try and shrink cancer cells. We have to see the soul. When we're with the patient, I think the best thing we can do is realize we're two souls having a human experience in a room together. And that's all I'm trying to do with this, these songs, with this whole project, this Lyrical Life project. It's about healing. It's about healing. Because even if you can't cure the cancer, there is healing that's possible. You can still be healed in many deep, loving ways, even if the cancer doesn't go away. And that's soul-to-soul healing. And that's what I want people to realize, that there's healing that can occur at many levels. Well, you share that in a lot of the stories in the book that actually going through the journey of, you know, the whole cancer thing from diagnosis through the treatment, ultimately to healing if possible, or or not, if it does take that other turn, that there can be an amazing healing process that takes place, whether it's with family members finally talking to each other after a long estrangement or, you know, listening to someone of, of their wishes of what they want at end of life and that kind of thing. So it, it really struck me in the stories that you shared in the book, and especially that one with Chuck, 
that that was great. And since that first song, you've written over 150 songs for people. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's and every time it it every time it it it's it's a unique experience because it, uh, every lyric is based on what moves, touches, inspires, what brings them love, what brings them joy, what brings them alive. And every musical thing is different. Every song is a little different. And it's joy. It's pure joy when we play those songs. When we, And there's healing in the songwriting. In the songwriting session, there's healing because it's like a life review. We're talking about what they love, how they met their spouse, how they how they played as a child, what they love what what they loved to do as children, what they what they loved as being a parent, if they're a parent, what they love to do now when they go home from the clinic, what brings them joy. And we forget this as healers, you know? It's just we forget, we forget, we forget why we became doctors in the first place. We become so bogged down with the red tape and the electronic medical records and getting it done that so many of us are in survival mode. Right. And that's why we're becoming burned out at 50% rates. And so this is a love letter to also to the caregivers out there, to the doctors, to the caregivers, to the nurses, to the patients. We're all in this together and, and we forget. It's like, oh, no, I'm over here. You're over there. You're on the other side of the desk. Well, I want to be, I want to do a big chop and I want to chop that desk in half and, 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 and get rid of the barriers because we're just two souls having a human experience. And, but we forget that. And it's like, I just want this book to be one small nudge, one small step towards healing, healing medicine itself. Because I think the entire system is, 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 is going through its own illness, if you will. Oh, absolutely. It's, I feel so many parts of it are broken and the piece that you're talking about is is huge. And you can tell that you're really passionate about people recognizing this, that, you know, we all are all humans, you know, having this experience. And what's great about what you're doing is you're encouraging people to look, everybody has a story. I mean, here's here's a confession. Like when we used to have newspapers, you know, one of my favorite things to read was the obituaries. I would look for them because I love to read people's stories. What kind of life did they have? Yes. And you're kind of you're kind of giving them not really an an obituary but like a little a little piece of a snapshot of their life in such a beautiful way in a song that their family can have that and you know as as a remembrance, you know, they're part of the process yes. and they can look back on on their life, you know, and that and that story, that individual story. Yes, and I so say, it's really beautiful. Yeah, um, well, thank you, Diane. And i I also I, I also want the song to be a reminder to tell someone, tell who you love in your life, 
what you love about them while they're here, while they're alive. Don't wait for their eulogy to, to tell everybody and them especially how great they are. Tell them now. And that's another little thing the song does. Everyone, because sometimes uh, it, it'll be the patient, but sometimes we'll surprise the patient and it'll be the spouse will write the song. The spouse and I will write the song and surprise the patient with the song. And so, or sometimes it'll be the whole family in the songwriting session and everyone chimes in. What do you love about mom? And And we'll just... And the words and the sentiments and the phrases become the lyrics. And you never know how it'll go, which is like cool because I don't know what what's going to come out of this song. But something always does. Something, one little thing hits. You know, one little thing they share. Now that's the title. Another thing they share. There's the chorus. It just, you know. And But here's what I want to, to also to say. It does not have to be songwriting. It's any shared, beautiful, creative act. It could be journaling. It could be watching a little comedy bit together. It could be watching your favorite Seinfeld episode together. It could be listening to your favorite song on Spotify or YouTube. It could be writing a poem. It could be drawing something together. It could be anything it's anything where you share your heart, where you share your soul, where you share your vulnerability. That's what it's about. It's it's it it doesn't have to be you know, people go, Well, I can't write a song. It's it it doesn't have to be that. Right. It's it's about that soul to soul connection. And that that's creativity because we all have it. We were all those five year olds in art class or, you know, in music class, singing our hearts out, running around and dancing. Uh, you know, it's that childlike wonder. It's that. It's Right. Making that connection. It makes me think of like some of the things I would share with my mother. Like she loved to laugh and she was a big fan of George Carlin. So I went out and I bought her the whole first season of Saturday Night Live where the very first show was George Carlin as the host. Mm. And so we would watch that together and just laugh. And also her other favorite movie was Best in Show. She was a big, you know, oh. Christopher Guest fan. So I love that. I, I totally understand what you're saying that it doesn't have to be a song or write a song if that's not what you feel is that you're called to, but that you can have these shared experiences with people through art, through laughter. And that was definitely something that I, I tried to share with my mom. And actually, the Westminster Dog Show was just on recently. Every time I see it, I, I think of her because she loved that Best in Show movie. Yes. And uh, it I just love was that something movie. that we shared. I love that movie. It's brilliant. And and I did these, these, um, <laughs> these silly spots on the Biography Channel. Uh, my comedy writing partner and I, he worked for A&E, and we did these hilarious I, I i was channeling my inner christopher guest it was it was they were called um a and e biography we know what to leave out and it was all of these biography it was all the the people in someone's biography who got left on the cutting room floor so it'd be like henry winkler's garbage disposal repair man and it would be like this guy who uh, and I played these characters, and and so 
I'll send them to you because you'll love them because they, they they'll remind you of best in show. But what it is, is, is laughter can come from anything. Laughter can come from SNL. It can come from best in show. It can come from Seinfeld. It can come from, from listening to comedy on, on, on Sirius XM. And it can come from the songs too. So a lot of the lyrics I write, you know, is something is come from a funny story someone shared with me. And so a lot of times people will laugh during the songs and, and the songs, you know, they don't have to be perfect. They just have to be self-expression. They just have to make someone light up. And when you were watching that with your mom, you know, her endorphins were going and, and she's laughing and her brain is lighting up and all of the connecting and all the connection centers. And you guys will always have those experiences. And it's so beautiful what you did for your mom, Diane, because well, I always you have, have that it. memory. <laughs> you always have it. And best yes. in show and every, every Thanksgiving when the dog show comes up, <laughs> your mom is sitting right next to you. Her soul is with you and you're watching it together. Yes. Yeah. I like to think that she was watching when this year the Pekingese won best in show. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so great because some people were thinking, oh, what an ugly dog. You know, I saw some response to that selection of, of best in show, but I thought it was a beautiful dog. That is one of my favorite movies. Isn't it great? Yeah. I love Christopher Guest. Well, I love all of them. Best in show. Um, Spinal Tap, of yes. course, I've seen a million times. Oh my God, um, they're the best! Those mockumentaries, yeah, I the love mockumentaries. Them. I He's... love that. <laughs> so you're kind of doing a little bit of that with the songwriting, and you know, sometimes maybe making it funny as as well as heartfelt. And yeah, they're 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 meant to. They're just meant to nudge someone to their to their the, their highest self, and and to remind them. You know, some people just need a little nudge to be reminded that they are not their cancer, that they're some, they're a beautiful soul who happens to be going through this part of their journey is involving this cancer experience, but it does not wholly define them as a human being. Well, the good news is that you share in the book that there are programs in some hospitals that are utilizing the power of music and art and laughter. Yeah, here but I was. But it's not enough, right? It's not enough hospitals that are doing it. No, no. But here I was at this, this really academic center, Georgetown, Lombardi Cancer Center. And here's this creative writing program. And it was beautiful. And I was like, wow, if we could have it here, we can have it anywhere. And, and, and they even had a, an art show. And, and a lot of the doctors, you know, had, had done some sort of artwork and it was patients and patients and doctors who had art that they had made. And I, I put my painting in the art show. It was, I was, you know, here I am learning how to be an oncologist, but at the same time, the importance of, of, you know, the humanities, the arts and humanities, that connection to medicine, that, that, you know, that healing takes all different forms. And if you can tap into their, your, your mind and your body, if you can have your mind and your body and your soul joined together, 
and and be unified like unity radio if you can unify them they can be the biggest ally in the fight against cancer they can help us in, during the fight they can be our biggest ally and how do you do it you give them love you give your mind-body connection love. You watch Best in Show. You watch George Carlin on SNL. You write a song. You journal. You sing in the shower. You hug. Even a hug releases endorphins. I can't tell you how many little old, little old ladies, as soon as I walk into the room, where's my hug? And that was hard during... <laughs> That was hard during the pandemic because I had to do virtual hugs over telemedicine. I would go up to the camera and go, here's your hug, you know, like a fake hug through the camera. But now we still have to wear masks in the office. But now we turn our head. We do the COVID half hug, the CHC. And uh, <laughs> You have an acronym for it. That's yeah, great. Wait, wait, COVID half hug. COVID C-H-H. COVID half hug. <laughs> you turn your head the other way and you and you hug. And, and, and now we're just starting to do the hugs again. And they are still demanding the hugs. And now patients are saying, I want you to, uh, you know, sometimes patients come in the first time I see them and go, you know, I want a song. I hear that sometimes. And, and because they may have seen something. But other times it just happens very organic. You know, we'll listen to their favorite song together. And it becomes, you know, like, what's your favorite music? I just had the, a, a really quick story. Just the other day, I was asked to see a patient with stage four pancreatic cancer in the hospital. And the guy, the hospitalist called me and said, her, uh, she's not happy with her, her, the oncologist that saw her at this other hospital. They told her to go home and die. They said that to her. And I can't believe that. And I know uh, there was nothing they could do. They said, they just, just go home and get your affairs in order. And I go in the room and I don't, we don't, I don't start talking about the stage four pancreatic cancer. I start talking about her and we start talking and I said, hi, you know, tell me about how you're doing. Tell me about you. And, she, and I said, what kind of music do you like? She goes, oh, I love Rod Stewart. He's my, I'm in love with Rod Stewart. I love him so much. Maggie May is my favorite song in the world. So what do I do? Take out my phone, bring up Spotify and we sit there. I take her hand and, you know, she's, she's, she's yellow because of the biliary obstruction, but it doesn't matter. I'm holding her hand and we're listening to Rod Stewart, Maggie May, and we're rocking and we're, and we're just grooving out to Maggie May, Rod Stewart. And we had this bonding moment to this song and she's going to try treatment and she felt hope. She says, this is the first time I felt a little glimpse of hope. And look, she has a hard road. But there are treatments for stage four pancreatic cancer. And guess what? They're getting a little better. And are we going to cure her? Probably not. But is she going to try some treatment? And does she want to battle? Does she want to live a little longer? Does she want to go for it? Yeah. And she's going to listen to Rod Stewart in her headphones. And she's going to have Rod Stewart helping her shrink the cancer out of her liver. And she has some hope where there was none. And that, my friend Diane, that is what this book is about. Just sitting there listening to Rod Stewart in that 
hospital room just the other day. That was one of the best moments I've ever had as a doctor. And we're giving could, people hope. What it, could I? All we were doing so was listening to Rod Stewart together, holding hands. And I don't know how long she's going to be on this planet, but she wants to do some treatment and she wanted to go for it. And we're sitting there listening to Maggie May. And that was one of the most wonderful moments I've ever had as a doctor. And, you know, I wasn't doing anything except listening to a song with her. But in some ways, it was extraordinary. Well, more doctors need to be like you and take that approach. And, you know, I really have a problem with doctors or medical professionals telling people you have X amount of time to live, do this, get your affairs in order, because you know what? They don't know. They told my mother, you know, a similar dire fate, and she ended up hanging on for several years longer. And I mean, don't you have a problem with that? How can someone put themselves in the position of, you know, the almighty, whatever, and say that you have this amount of time left on the planet when nobody knows for certain I could walk out in the street right now and get hit by a bus. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I just, that always bothers me when someone says I've been given three months or something like that. The first thing I say is you are not a statistic. Look, statistics are sometimes very useful when patients want to know and say, well, what are the statistics? And some patients are very, they're very into that and they want to know and that's fine. But also know that there's always outliers. You're all you're not a statistic, and 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 people beat those statistics all the time. And there's all the intangibles. There's all the intangibles of mind, body, and soul coming together. There's new treatments on the horizon all the time. Malignant melanoma was a death sentence 20 years ago. Now you have. Like Jimmy Carter, for example, he had it in his brain. He's alive and doing well. My One of my partners is a melanoma expert. He said he almost got out of it because it was so dismal. Now he has a new leash on, on, on oncology because now all of his melanoma patients are beating all the... All the old statistics are living for years and years and years with melanoma in their brain and their lungs. And it's amazing what can happen. So many times I say, just hold on until the next best thing comes out because breakthroughs are happening all the time. But we're also talking about breakthroughs in mind and body and soul and spirit and unity and love. We're all in this together, two humans going through, two souls going through a human experience. And Diane, I just want to say I love your energy. I love who you are. And I want to thank you again for having me. Thank you so much. And I really love the book. Love is the strongest medicine. Pick it up. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively 
part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts.